up, legends? Welcome back to another episode of the Sports Medicine Project. Now, today's episode was an absolute ripper. We jumped between a, a few different things. We didn't just focus on one topic. You know, we talked a lot about Liz Frank management. We talked a lot about severs or, you know, tractual apophysitis of the calcaneus, exercise progression for Liz Frank injuries, shoulder surgery, you know, over-treatment, and Liz Frank surgeries. Oh, and we talked about orthotic modifications for Liz Frank injuries and, you know, what we would give them in regards to, to footwear. So it was a, a pretty good episode. Really, really, really interesting. We've, um, we've just added a new segment where, you know, listeners can send in any question they would like. So if you have any questions for us or you've got a patient you're stuck with or, or want to know something, yeah, please um, um, send it through. We, we answered one today and we probably spent a little bit too long on it, but it was, yeah, it was awesome. Remember to head over to our Instagram. You know, you can DM us, leave a comment and um, we'll get that and, and take it on board. Remember to leave us a five-star review on Spotify. You know, if you like it, if you don't like it, don't leave a review. And then, you know, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts as well. Hope you guys enjoy and have a good week. It's Blake and you're here with Kelly as well. How are you going, Kelly? Good. I'm excited to be using these microphones finally. Yeah, I mean, God, I hope it sounds good. It's such a stuff around. Like connecting two mics and you've got to merge them into one audio so the computer recognizes them. It's just, it's, it's a lot to do. It's been such a debacle. Yeah, I, that many times I've thought we'll just go back to the phone, hey. <laughs> Oh, well. Anyway, so let's get into it. Now, I've got a new segment we're adding in. We are going to answer listener questions. Now, this can be case studies. Uh, it can be basically anything that you would like us to, to answer. And yeah, we'll probably spend a couple of minutes on it each and yeah, go from there. So we've got Wait, one... Wait, first, should we do the our normal segment? Yeah, right. You lead. You start with that. Okay. Well, we forgot to do it last week, so I'm going to boycott the thing from this week that... I learnt and go with the thing that I learnt last week. Last week, I got the opportunity to sit in on surgeries with uh, one of our local surgeons here. And I just wanted to... to what surgeon? What kind of surgeon, sorry? Orthopedic surgeon. So it was <laughs> what kind? surgery. Yeah, what kind? Uh, shoulder. Right. Sorry. <laughs> surgery. <laughs> My brain. Um, yeah, it was just great. And there was, there was heaps that I learnt and I won't um, bore you with all the specifics, but ultimately what I got out of it was just the, the value that you get out of sitting in with a surgeon and being able to, to see things real time. You, you get these, well, for me, I had these images in my head of, for example, what a, what a frozen shoulder looked like, but then actually being able to, to see it through the arthroscope was so different and it was just really, really cool. So regardless of, of if you're a new clinician or an, an older clinician, I'm almost four years out now. I and I still got so much out of it. So if you if you can really try and um, harness that opportunity, then do it for mm. sure. That What's cool. a, a frozen shoulder look like? It's the I can't even think. It's what does it look like? Yeah. What even? How would you describe Completely a frozen shoulder? Completely different to what I expected. So I would I have explained it. Well, what you would explain it to, to patients as is mm. it's like as adhesions that develop around the joint capsule. So mm. I was imagining this like pristine joint capsule with just these like scar bits on it and it being a bit inflamed and irritated. But then through the arthroscope looking at it, it was just completely different. It just looked like there was just shit everywhere. And you, it makes sense as to why the mobility is so restricted. And yeah. 
Yeah, that's interesting. It was cool. Yeah, and what's that injection that you um you had a patient that had that before? Is a hydro not hydro hydrodilatation. So yeah. this patient that I saw, so she was having a capsular release. Uh, one of the surgeries that I was watching, she had tried hydrodilatation a couple of times, which mm. is basically an injection of saline, analgesia, and and it makes the joint bigger. They just it? stretch it. Yeah, it just yeah. they inject it all in there and, and try and stretch the joint capsule, and then they have vigorous physiotherapy afterwards to try and restore any mobility and then maintain it wow but in some cases that doesn't work they they try and do that early on and mm. if it doesn't work it doesn't work but yeah this lady she was having a capsular release which yeah. is where they kind of just go in with this little um one of the doctors in there was calling it the hungry caterpillar it was funny <laughs> their this, tools this, are so cool yeah hey? this tool yeah. and it just goes in and just eats away at all of the shit it was mm. yeah it was really cool that's cool and yeah. then and then she could and yeah it was awesome she had like full movement after that mm. it was great yeah it's i know that's it's, it's off topic but it is talking the shoulder i actually wanted to get your opinion i i read that study i know adam eakins talks about it a lot that like shoulder impingement and like scapula just dyskinesia aren't actual conditions would you say that they because I, I, I get that I get that so feeling of impingement but I don't think it's actually like in shoulder impingement isn't a diagnosis it, and it, it doesn't necessarily cause anything it like mm. it wouldn't cause an um, issue like lots of people mm. have it without any problems but mm. people latch onto it and think oh that makes yeah, sense. I get blind I think that, I don't know if you've had it but it, and I, I just it feels like it's getting impinged but i know you know whether it be just a weakness and a reduced mobility but i can see where it comes from but yeah mm. I, I just read that and i thought i'd throw that in there yeah so yeah. that's what you learnt. what annoyed you oh i had something on my in my oh yeah um again shout out to to georgia i've mentioned her before on here and um we had coffee with her and her partner dusty this morning and she was just saying that the, uh, the a few of the people on she's studying OT, a few of the students, or not a few, one of her, the students <laughs> in her degree was trying to get out of going rural for placement because she had to see her chiropractor. So she has to stay in Newcastle to be able to see her chiropractor. Damn. And I just wanted, it annoyed me because I don't think that any health professional is life or death, any allied health professional is a matter of life or death mm. and you should never be creating that reliance on a health professional i think it's something you should be educating them on how they can mm. self-manage that while they're away you don't need to say you cannot go away on a placement which is your degree because you have to come back and see me yeah it's just and if crazy. there is anything life and death you're not going to be the one to manage it if you do pick it up like if you somehow i don't know pick up that there's like a bone tumor you're not going to be the one managing that so you shouldn't be telling them what they're exactly. what they're going to do Just we need to get that me. guy um sports Cairo luke on instagram on because i've heard some horror stories too i know every profession has you know that that subset of people that that just really bring the profession down and you know for podiatry i guess for podiatry it's giving too many custom orthotics for physio it's just doing manual therapy and massage i would think and then for Cairo, it's it seems to be like consistent two, three appointments a week for seven weeks. For seven years. Yeah, seven years. It's, <laughs> it's crazy. I tell you the funny thing. Actually, I'm gonna just quickly hijack you. I'm gonna because I have plenty of things that annoy me, but this is number one. I'm not gonna mention any names. However, I've been seeing some ads on my Facebook for chiropractors mm, and I osteos, 
and these things are off the fucking chart. Mm. It's re- it's just like sometimes it's like a minute of someone just cracking necks with mm. with no context. They're just cracking necks or they're cracking backs and like they'll be like we've got two visits. Usually they're two hundred dollars. They're thirty seven dollars. Like what kind of people do you think are going to come in? One, they're not going to come back. How but do you think you're going to be do. able to do anything for that amount of money? Hey, people do. People like. Well, I like cracking my back, but I don't. I don't want someone else to do it. Yeah, but that shouldn't be what is is getting you into. Like, if you're in pain and you want to move, I can understand. Yes, you, you may want that feeling, but and a minute. What kind of value and what kind of people are you going to get? Mm. Maybe I actually, maybe of... it's smart because you're going to get people that want that, and you're just going to. Yeah, I was going to say I can think of a few patients that are like, I just feel like I need my back cracked. Mm. Well, that's it. Thirty-seven dollars for two yeah, visits, and it includes. Them. It's like it, it says what it includes, and it's like X-ray, spinal posture, curvature realignment, functional manual therapist inject. Something <laughs> like it just adding words and words and words. It's ridiculous. That's one thing that annoyed me. The one thing that I learnt this week. We don't hate chiropractors, also. Yeah, we, no, no, no. We, every health professional's got problems. Every, every, sorry, every, every health profession has problems. Every, every health professional. Every health professional has problems too, probably. Yeah. But it's just um, coincidentally the the health professional that's popped up in yeah. today's Yeah, and there are some weapon chiropractors out there. Yeah, for, there for are sure. some awesome chiropractors out there. Yeah, it's there's just some inquisitive. shit physios. There's some shit podiatrists. Every, yeah. No, there's not. They're all good podiatrists. No. Just inquisitive as to why, what, what you would, what you think you're going to get from that ad. Anyway. The, the thing that I learnt this week dealing with a couple of paediatric patients, um, I saw a really complex one with a real um, cox of vera and a real big like gene of vera. So basically like curvature of the, um, of the leg in a round shape. So really bow-legged. Um, How in old? A, 18 months. Yeah, really, really interesting. And yeah, it was... Yeah, I, 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 ne- I ne- had never seen it to that degree. Um, and like, because you get obviously the, the basically the way I explain it is, and which is true, the hips, the femur, the tibia and the feet, you know, all de-rotate and change length and size, you know, over the course of, of the first 14 years, depending on if you're a boy and a girl. And unfortunately, how they change, they don't all change in sequence. So things can look, you know, kids can look clumsy, flat-footed, their knees can go in. But if there's no pain and they're functional and they're happy, you know, it doesn't need to be addressed. So we just did biomechanical gait assessment, joint range of motion, screen for any neurological stuff, you know, like Babinski's grass reflex. And um, yeah, it was, it was all fine. But yeah, it was, a, it was an interesting one, um, which, which led me to thinking about talking with parents and kids. Uh, a good analogy that um, I was talking about with, with Justin Smith is explaining that you know, for, for kids, generally when they're younger, sometimes when you see them, that pain that they have may be their first ever experience of pain. So it can be quite subjective, you know, how they interpret, are they a coper or are they someone that always pushes through? Because I used to say um, to, to, to parents, you know, if they report any pain at all, any discomfort, you know, that's when it's time to, to re-engage, you know, if I've discharged them or I've got a longer time between periods that I'm seeing them. And now I'm more so, you know, just seeing if the pattern's consistent. Do they only report pain after soccer or do they only report it when they go on shopping or is it every time after school, you know, you're noticing it every time they do activity. So, and explaining to parents that, you know, it's normal for them to have pain here and there because it's their first experience and they don't really know how to deal with it until they've dealt with it. So, yeah, just saying consistent, if it's consistent pain after activity, 
you know, that's probably a, a better idea if it is not real, but if it's worth, I guess, coming to see me. That was just, I was just thinking about that book that we read. I can't remember what it was called. Um, it was talking about when kids are like when kids like fall over and how their parents mm. react to them falling over. Ah, it's, yes. And that's how how people develop different perceptions of pain and yeah. The other one on, being on, able to cope with pain on as that well. topic. Like whenever I give a car phrase to a, a younger child oh, it hurts, it's painful, it's painful, and they grab their calf muscle. And obviously, you know, it's just a calf fatigue, which is normal, but that's like a perfect example Mm. on how they kind of interpret that as pain. And you're there to kind of, I guess, desensitize it and downregulate them and say to their parents and say, hey, you know, they're saying their heel and their calf is painful. It's really hard to tell which is, I guess, um, something to worry about because the calf's normal, the heel might be normal as well. Yeah, I actually had two patients this week. Both of them were ankle sprains. One of them was an ankle, like an uh, an eversion ankle sprain, apparently, where the soccer ball kicked into the the medial part of his foot and then Mm. he felt like he had a pop. And then the other one was just a, a standard ankle sprain. And I saw them three or four days after they sprained it and mm-hmm. the, both of the parents um when they came in they were like I'm, I'm not really sure if it's something i need to be worried about or you know it's really hard to tell with kids mm. and and you're kind of asking them questions about what happened and where it hurts and literally none of it makes any clinical sense mm. at all mm. and you kind of obviously have to you know t- take everything that the patient says seriously and mm. and treat it as if it is something serious mm, but I, I don't know if you, if you do because i think well i mean i the way that i managed it was mm. just by like reassuring them and saying that there's nothing sinister or nasty based off our assessment and trying mm. to get going again normally is a good idea but then mm. you say you say like oh but you won't be able to play soccer this weekend if, if you can't walk normally now how are you going to play a game of soccer you could mm. hurt yourself and they're like oh what no no, it's okay. And then they just start like running around the clinic but without any work, problems at all. If they, so that works if they want to play soccer. If they don't want to play soccer, does that still work? Mm, not necessarily, but you can probably find something that they want to do. And you can say, oh, well, if you don't have a functioning foot, then how are you going to play? Or how are you mm. going to do that thing? And then they get really like, oh, well. And know. also the other, thing, like that, but the I, other thing is when you follow, well, for these two, I followed mm. up with them. This isn't for every single um, mm. pediatric case, but when I followed up with them, uh, two or three days later, they were like completely cured. No yeah. problems at all. Yeah. I think you can just, sometimes you can, like if that's a perfect example, you just have a follow-up a little bit longer. You might say, oh, we'll see how it is in three weeks. And generally, they'll either call up and say everything's fine or you'll get to three weeks and it's like, you know, 90% better. I feel like I put it in closer because then I see them in like two days and they're like, fine. Mm, probably I should have put some context to that that content. I more mean towards the end of the rehab. You know, say, which we're going to talk about today is, is severs. Say towards the the end of that severs and there's still a little bit of pain or discomfort and, I, and I'm hundred percent certain that it is going to get better and they just need some time but they're like oh you know it's really sore sometimes i can say oh you know let's leave it a little bit longer and generally they're well they're always like okay Mm. i don't know you would bring it closer well i mean in my head for those two cases i was thinking of they were acute injuries so i think for acute ones they're probably a bit closer yeah i don't know i I know i probably don't see heaps of severs 
Yeah, see, I said tons. I say, see, hey, I guess it's, mm, I don't know. Yeah, which we're going to talk about today. So that's our topic. Um, we're Wait, but about... first, need to go there. Listen to question. Oh yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> put my. Um, so we'll we'll pick maybe one or two listener questions. We'll just pick the one for this week, just because we've already rambled on a little bit. Mm. So this is from James Farley. I don't know if you want your name mentioned, but it's already been mentioned. Sorry, buddy. So Liz, Liz Frank Injury Management from a physio optometrist view. I'd imagine it would be similar. Well, mate, you're about to find out. I hope so. So, what? It, it depends. I guess the management. I've, I've got to say this. We're going to talk about the management, but it, like these things get missed. What did we read today? It was like twenty percent get missed. Yeah, probably, mm. and and it's definitely not an injury to miss. Yes, either. yeah, it's one of those ones that needs to be managed. Obviously I probably, not. I would say, I see Liz Frank injuries more so post-operatively, hmm. but any time I would see a forefoot traumatic injury or midfoot, forefoot yeah. sort of yeah. traumatic injury, in my mind, I'm always like Liz Frank, unless proven otherwise. Yeah, yeah, that's like that's the front of my mind. Yeah, it's so easy to do- like. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Generally, it's like if you're really concerned. If you are really concerned, can you put them in a boot? Otherwise, you're sending them for a bilateral x-ray in weight-bearing to it's, look for it's that. It's usually like, considered a medical emergency. So if it needs to be mm. operated on, it's operated on immediately. No, but like if you're seeing them in the clinic, like if they're presented to you, would you? I would probably say crutches. Crutches. Non-weight-bearing, okay. if yeah. you're suspicious. So you could, you could do a boot if you didn't have crutches. Yeah. Yeah, and then you're you're sending for a bilateral weight-bearing x-ray and you're looking for that spacing. And again, you want to usually just say on the x-ray, I'm concerned of at least Frank looking for that space um, at the bottom of the first individual space. And if there is a space there, it's called a, a flex sign. Remember that from university? Mm, flick. Yeah. Flick? Flick. Yeah, flex sign. So it's like an avulsion fracture, basically. Yeah, and make sure you, it has to be bilateral compared to the other side because some people can just have a wider space yeah. anyway. I think that's how they would get missed is maybe people send for x-rays for ruling out a Liz Frank injury, but it's so minor that you can't tell unless you're comparing it to the other side. Maybe that's how yeah. it gets missed. And even like if, if you're still concerned that it's fine, obviously you can do an MRI or refer a sports doc for them to rule out. Um, but you can also just have it in the back of your mind if things aren't improving, you know, four, five, six weeks down the track. And if things aren't improving, perhaps that's another referral, if not earlier. Apparently a CT scan's the gold standard. CT, yeah. yeah. All right, CT. And then... So that's if you're seeing them acute before anyone else, which is quite unlikely, I would mm. say. Usually they but present to ED. But it does happen, ED. it does happen. It does happen, but usually mm. they would present to ED and mm. be operated on straight away if they are having an operation, which is majority of cases. Mm. Um, but after you an operation, they've typically had two surgeries because they'll have pins and plates put in and then removed again yeah it's highly individual as well yeah it's very individual but from the cases that i've seen um that's the the common type Mm. and they're stiff as they're really really (laughs) stiff very weak is is pretty much what i (laughs) the first thing that i notice so when they're coming out of the boot and you're encouraged to start physio or podiatry or Mm. some sort of exercise management you're doing a lot of like knee to wall, ankle dorsiflexion mobilization to get some sort of dorsiflexion back. Mm. I think manual therapy works quite well just mm-hmm. to get that touch and 
I don't know, something. I just think it works and then mm-hmm. get them moving and then do some more manual therapy and then get them moving mm. again. And just as much as they can tolerate in regards yeah. to moving. Um, I think it's important, especially from a foot point of view, and I find myself saying this every day, you know, generally we can think of the, of the foot as, as not, you know, a strong structure, but definitely reassuring patients post-operatively or post I mean, you're not saying, hey, this is stiff, you've just had this big surgery. You know, generally saying, you know, you've just had this surgery, you know, regardless of the surgery, the structures in here are, are quite strong and quite resilient and you shouldn't be worried about, you know, breaking bones or, or something going wrong, I guess from, um, what would you say, breaking the pins or the plates or anything like that. Because you can be a little bit hesitant and there's no really other way to compensate to not walking on your forefoot. You've got to put, you know, weight through your forefoot. I think pods and physios probably manage it the same. Um, you know, from a podiatrist standpoint, it's just graded exposure as to what they can tolerate, trying to get as much of that, that range of motion back. But, you know, not going to the end of the world to get it. You know, you can still, I think, just do graded exposure with a nice exercise program, some balance stuff, you know, some calf raises, that kind of thing, and then gradually build up. I would think that they need to get back to some, depending on what they want to get back to, but just because they can do a calf raise and they can walk, normally i don't think that's enough you know mm-hmm. they should be able to hop and jump and, and bound side to side you know that kind of thing even if they're not a runner they still should be able to do that yeah um, it's just kind of standard post-operative like ankle yeah. rehab it doesn't have really. to be specific either like you're not targeting the least frank joint or the tip no. post or the perineal just get them like i'm going to name five exercises that i think that i would give them i want you to name five as well definitely some toe walking some calf raises hopping up on a stair um, some squats and probably just some lunges or some split squats mm-hmm. and oh, some star excursion, single leg balance and you know trying to make it hard what do you think i'm a big fan of the step like the heel tap step down one. oh yeah like the single leg squat kind of yeah yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. I, I think it's just yeah, that's a great particularly one. after an ankle something if you're really stiff into dorsiflexion i quite like that because often a complaint is walking downstairs mm, i give that a lot for tip post i like that yeah obviously like a, a calf raise more probably an isometric because mm. often they can't do a single leg calf raise straight away mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. when they're coming out of the boot mm-hmm. so an isometric first and then building mm. up to a single leg calf raise or like an eccentric office step again to work into that dorsiflexion and then those yeah the standard lower limb strength work like squats lunges deadlifts mm. stuff like that yeah and then from a podiatrist specific point of view i've played around a lot um i, I tend to it's hard to say in the past i have definitely tend to gravitate more towards a custom device just because i can get i think i can get better kind of medial longitudinal arch um, contact and then I'll, I'll generally play around first with just a forefoot valgus posting obviously depending on what their foot mechanics are like so I'll play around with a forefoot valgus posting to just kind of move that ground reaction force more so um, through the first ray and, and things like that and then if, if they find that uncomfortable or it's not working as well you can also trial just putting a, a met dome or a met bar on there and it tries to help to stabilize the the transverse arch as well as the medial longitudinal arch and they generally find that pretty comfortable so they're two things that i can play around and they're easy to grind on and off and, and do that kind of thing and then from a footwear point of view pretty simple any shoe with just a, a four foot rocker, rocker? Yeah. Or, or a meta rocker yeah, but it's important 
Yes, they're important um, adjuncts, you know, a bit like a shoulder sling for a shoulder, but you don't want them relying on that forever. Like if they want to, you know, they're in a job where they're on their feet a lot or they're doing a lot of walking, great, you can use these things, but you, you would generally want to try and, and wean off them. I mean, you don't have to, but I don't think they have to, should have to rely always on, on having custom orthotics and, and footwear. Mm. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I was just thinking the other thing that I quite like doing is giving mm. them just a, a hard ball or a tennis ball and getting them to roll their roll under their foot mm. so just to get a little bit more load. of that stimulus and because mm-hmm. it's quite stiff through the the midfoot there especially if they've had like an arthrodesis which is essentially a fusion then yeah. then the joints around it and and they are often quite stiff so mm. it's just a nice way to to get a little bit more of that movement through yeah. the foot, midfoot yeah i did want to add when we're talking about the exercise therapy because sometimes they can be like why the hell am i doing a split squat if i've um just had a liz frank injury but just explaining to them, you know, whenever you have a surgery, you're probably going to have a period either prior or post-surgery, a period where you're not weight-bearing or, or some kind of deconditioning is going to happen. It's important to build that strength back up. Mm-hmm. And it's not you're going back to play rugby or, or, you know, run a marathon, but I always use the example. And I think of a patient that you had, Kelly, a couple of years ago that was, you know, jumping up and down in the beach um, in the waves and they jumped down on the sand and snapped their Achilles or ruptured their Achilles. And then another patient that just slipped and went to put their foot out and, and ruptured their Achilles as well. So there's all these things, you know, running across the street, you know, you, there's all these things where the body is going to be exposed to that really explosive movement. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to train the body just to withhandle, sorry, withstand something. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I have a, a patient at the moment that I'm working with who's post-op ankle, not Liz Frank, just mm. post-op op ankle surgery. And we... Uh, she'd been in a boot for a while and I just tested her quad strength the other day and on her unaffected side her quad strength was like 30 kilos she was able to produce of force Mm. and on her affected side she was only able to produce like 13 kilos so that's a good example of just how much you can decondition on your affected side and probably your unaffected side as well but yeah yeah and from from a shoe point point of view probably like a hopper bondi or an asics glide ride or a New Balance 1080, you know, they all work work pretty well. And then, yeah, definitely transitioning out. I'm just thinking, we haven't even talked about Severs yet. We're just talking to this guy. This guy better Severs. appreciate this um, this answer. <laughs> what I reckon we'll um we'll do, we'll, we'll probably just, I reckon, end it there. Yeah. And, um, well, why don't we have a quick chat? How long have we been going for? I don't even know. Have a look on the, the computer. We could just do a little case study on Severs. We've been going for 25 minutes. Oh, sweet. Yeah, we'll go 10 more minutes. 10 more minutes? Yeah. A quick 10-minute spiel on severs. Yeah, I'll probably edit this part out. (laughs) Um, Yeah, sweet. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, we'll just do a a bit of a a jump in with with severs. Now, the first thing to talk about severs, now we're not going to delve too much into the research. I just did a presentation for the Foot and Ankle Show which is like an organization in the UK talking about the management of pediatrics. And it's free. So, you know, go and watch that. Or maybe it's like fifteen dollars now to get to access to that recording, and I talk about it a lot more in depth. But the first thing I talk about there is, I think we need to move away, and I think we are moving away from calling it severs or severs disease because it, it can be quite nocebic. I know it's a small thing to to bring up, but just calling it, you know, heel pain or a tractional pulposis um, of the calcaneus, you know, it, severs disease can scare parents a little bit. What do you think of that? I don't. I don't know. I don't know what I think of that. I don't really think? think 
I, I don't know. I don't think Severs sounds scary. Like, you might, I mean, it's hard if we don't have children, but maybe I'll ask you when you're a mum and say, you know, you're... But what's the difference between Severs disease and contractional apophysitis? Nothing. It's just the word, the disease. Haven't you got Severs disease? Mm, I don't know. Mm. But that's like something, and again, I, 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 know I completely mean. understand it's the most minor thing, but how easy is that to change? Yeah. Like, you could just, that, like, that takes no energy at all, and you just might make someone feel better. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, what do you, what have you got to say about service? You know how much often would you I say just that? treat it like an Achilles tendinopathy, to be honest. Yeah, I know. There's like the the general is like heel lift. Um, what is it? Heel lift, stretching, and icing is what we were taught in university. It's pretty no, pretty easy to <laughs> to um pretty easy to diagnose. Like you get that positive squeeze, and you can usually move along the um. You can move along the the growth plate. Yeah. So my Let's go through our, our way of explaining it. I explain it as, you know, you've got this big heel bone, the calcaneus, you've got one part that, you know, attached to the body, and you've got a little bit of cartilage in the middle that's still growing and changing and quite soft and, and innovative, and then you've got this bone on the outside, and you've got this big Achilles tendon that pulls on that bone on the outside, and again, it's the, the biggest tendon in the body. It does a lot of pulling, you know, when we jump and when we run. So what tends to happen is when it pulls on there, it's going to basically pull at the, the weakest point, which is that soft cartilage in the middle, and that's where we, we get the pain. So that's why it's really related to how much we do and our activity levels. Yeah, do you say something along those lines? I'm probably a little bit more basic with my explanation. Mm. I, I relate it to growing and growth spurts, and, yeah. but I, and uh, activity and load. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I go into so much detail about the anatomy of it. Mm. I, I'm more mm. sort, of, sort of explain it as there's lots of things changing at the moment through mm-hmm. all of our body, but at the, mm. uh, particularly down around that Achilles tendon region is is where it's starting to develop some sort of changes, which is creating this sort of reaction. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I just like like going in depth. I, sometimes I do it to my own detriment, but... Um, yeah, I, I definitely, generally these kids have an early heel lift, so that, I think that can, can not predispose them, but definitely exacerbate when they are in pain. And we know some kids, you know, we haven't identified a specific gene, but we just know some kids get it. Now, one thing I want to talk about, I learned this in university and I thought it, it made sense to me. I've, I've got a couple of studies and I can send them to you, so reach out on the Instagram that BMI is not associated with an increased risk in severs, which is very interesting. Now, I'm not saying it's, it's not. I'm just saying that's what the study said. Have you heard that it was associated, that, you know, higher BMI? No. I, I haven't heard of it. And I, if I think of the patients that I've seen with severs, mm. I wouldn't say any of them had a high BMI. Right. So I thought you were going to be more shocked by that. You better be shocked by the next one. So the next thing I'm going to say is a similar study showed that activity levels aren't associated with severs either. Yeah, and I remember you telling me this when you were writing your presentation and I I can believe that, I think, but I I would say that the patients that we see are They're probably going to be more activity-related because mm. they can't do the thing that they want to do. Yeah. So or we've probably mm. just got like a clinical bias to think that activity mm. is related to severs because mm. that's the patients that we're seeing because they can't do what they want to do. Mm. But there's probably lots of kids out there that maybe also have it but they don't run around very much so they don't yeah 
yeah, it's not enough to, to bother them. Yeah. So let's get in into the treatment. We obviously, we ask a lot of questioning and we talk about, you know, I always ask, is there any family history of anything weird and wonderful, any rheumatological conditions? Because, and I talk about this in the presentation, there's plenty of reported case studies where kids have gone to hospital and they've had, you know, osteomyelitis, bone tumors that presented as severs. So if things aren't improving, which with severs, they generally get better pretty quick. You know, you need to be either referring on or getting some imaging. That's really important, I think. Yeah. yeah. I haven't had one, but I've, I've read plenty of studies and case studies. Hey. I wouldn't think it's that common. No, but I've, you know, read at least, well, I talk about two, but I've read five or six. I mean, yeah, but that's not something you want to miss. Mm. No, so definitely. yeah, let's. Um, I think that goes for anything. If anything's not improving, then make sure that you're mm, investigating it. Yeah, further. you just you don't really think that that much in kids. I don't. I don't really. In adults, I'm like, great. I'm like, got this little timeline on my head. Like, if this isn't improving, great. You need to see someone else. You know. Mm. But with kids, I'm a little bit more relaxed. Not sorry. When I was younger, I was a little bit more relaxed. Yeah, and well, look, uh, in my head, maybe not for me then, because I always think kids are way more resilient than adults. And I think that they should be improving quicker, if anything, not slower. Oh, yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. I, I think kids definitely, and with servers, it usually responds quite quickly. So if they're not, that's when I'm like, you need to get to see someone probably quicker than an adult. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, let's talk about management. So we've screened, we've asked all the really important questions. We've done a biomechanical assessment. We've done a gait assessment, seeing how they move. We've tested their strength. Can they squat? Can they lunge? Can they do a calf raise? Can they heel walk? Can they toe walk? Seeing what's painful. And we've identified it, it definitely is. Severs, what are you doing? <laughs> First line treatment. Not stretching. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. you can, you, and this is the thing, you definitely can stretch. There's no harm in it. No, no, not but at all. But it's better things you could be doing. Yeah. And okay, what do you mean by that? Uh, I mean, the, the first thing that I'm probably talking about or educating on is is finding some amount of activity that they're able to continue doing but not yeah. to the point where they're just in de- debil- hmm. debilitating pain yeah you don't um, want to be saying quit everything no i would yeah. never say that to them to quit everything so it's it's often a conversation about load management hmm. um i guess i guess you could just say what's valuable to them like if yeah. they play soccer and basketball you just say you know what's the most valuable thing that, that you do for training and if they say or their mum says or dad says Oh, I love soccer on Saturday. Great. Let's just Keep tone it back from basketball yeah. a little bit and continue to play soccer. Yeah. And then, so you've educated well, like you always do. What do you do now? Calf raises. Sweet. Yep. I'm just off, off the floor? I would probably do it off a step. Yes. Good to hear. I like to do it off a step. If they can't do it off the step, off the can. floor? Yep. Yep. Cool. Yeah. And... If they want to use some sort of hip to or ice, there's no harm in it. Yep. Again, it's probably not doing heaps other than just making it feel a little bit better. Mm. But then, again, if they want to do that, then mm-hmm. they can. I I don't trust that kids do heaps of what I recommend them to mm. from an exercise perspective. So I probably just keep it really simple and yes. just give Sim- them calf raises. Yeah. I yeah. wouldn't worry about really adding in anything else. And yeah. there's probably heaps more that you could do, but I just don't trust that they'd actually do it. Yeah, it's so hard to convince. And the parents are generally like, yes, yes, this is great. We'll do it. We'll do it. But, you know, they've got lives too. They're not there watching them all the time. You know, I'm the same. Generally just a, an eccentric calf drop off a step. Why not concentric? Sorry, oh, sorry. I, yeah, he's, he's Hendrick Contra- Concentric. Mm-hmm. And, 
Yeah, I usually give them that inner calf stretch because there's no there's no harm in it, and we've got a little bit of research to to say it works. Um, really? Yeah, that's what I learned in university. In my mind, I'm that's like, if they're that... doing a calf raise off a step, then yeah, they're, they're getting get, a they're getting the benefit well. anyway. Yeah. yeah, I usually give them two, knowing that they're probably going to do one, but I probably could just give them one. That might be something to think about. Yeah, you're right, ice as well, and I so. I'm going to go on the record saying that I think, and we've got the studies now to, to show this. So we've got studies to show that custom orthotics are more effective than heel lifts and stretching for the treatment of severs. So I can see if someone said to me, I just do custom orthotics every time, I can definitely see where you're coming from. I don't think it has to be a custom orthotic. I think that you can probably get the same benefit with just an off-the-shelf device, you know, with a nice deep heel cup. Um, so I'll use something like that. Not all the time, you know, if they're really quite active and we're probably not going to um, to to stop or, or rest or relax as much as I would like to, I'll use something like that and with heel lifts as well and just How? say... Sorry. I'll just say, yeah, like if it's uncomfortable, you know, trial the orthotic, trial the heel lift, see how it works, see what's more comfortable. If it's really um, minor and quite vague, the pain, I'll probably just give them some heel lifts. Uh, they're, they're really quite simple and, and easy and, and pretty cheap. Yeah, what were you going to say? I, I, if I explain that the prefab, because it's got a deep heel cup, I mean, it's not going to hold the um, the growth plate in place. That's what I, well, what's, that's what I was going to ask. Is like, how is an orthotic working for severs? Well, we think that the heel cup is hot, so the heel cup comes underneath, and it stops that fat plat. Uh, sorry, it stops the fat pad from dispersing as much because it kind of cups it, and so then you've got more kind of shock attenuation because there's more. Um, there is more space between the ground and the calcaneus, which is the sore part, because the fat pad's not dispersing like a pancake. So is it the fat pad that's driving a lot of the... Well, that's what we think. We don't actually know. No. So I think that's one. The other is it generally feels more comfortable and probably helps with plantar plantar. It's interesting that the, like, the fat pad well, it, conversation comes up again because I would say a lot of clinicians would explain the growth plate being the issue or like the thing that's causing the problem yeah but you're getting like that growth plate sits right under the, undoubtedly probably one of the the highest ground reaction force pressures in the foot in the whole body the mm -hmm. heel when you heel strike mm -hmm. the other thing i think it helps doing is if you have some art contact you know you get a little bit of that ground reaction force like pressure redistribution around the whole foot so you don't get you know rather than say 100 newtons of force with no orthotic, you might get 60 or 75 going through the heel. I'm just saying numbers now. Mm -hmm. So that plus the fat pad. And I find that low die taping works incredibly well. It just holds the foot um, a little bit better. And I'll explain that as well. So I'll give them, show them how to low die, mm -hmm. give them the stretching. Good. I do that Generally, as well. would give them a, a prefab orthotic or I'll just play around with heel. It depends on, again, it's very individual, but just depends how reliant. I think, or if they really need it and how much sport they're doing, plenty of factors affect it, but it's one of those things. And then, yeah, I'm following up in, in two or three weeks. You? Uh, I, I probably follow up earlier, to be honest. Ooh, why's that? I just do for, for most patients. I'm always keen to catch up earlier rather than later, just to... Do you need to, though? Probably more from an educational standpoint than anything else. So what not, do they need to not be educated on? 
to check their understanding of what we've spoken about, um, make sure that their interpretation of what we spoke about was mm. accurate because I often don't trust that it is. So I want to make sure that what they are, you know, picking up is what I am putting down and okay. Okay. that they are confident with the plan and mm-hmm. the load manage- management pieces that we covered. Mm. Now, I, I like what you said. Don't take this to offense. I'm not picking you apart. Do they need to hear that a week earlier? Why can't they hear that a week later? I understand it. That's very important for them to have the right interpretation. But we know that kids generally get better really quick. So do they need to be seen that week earlier so they have a better understanding? Is that you betraying your beliefs on them? No, I, I, I don't know. But it's mm. I, I'm a believer in front-loading any appointments yeah. types and any appointment patients. I yep. think if you can at least see them somewhat regularly the first couple of times so that they they you you and them both mm. trust that the plan is mm. I think... know, in the right direction, then I'd rather do that and then follow up later than from the first appointment say, let's mm. catch up in two weeks. Yeah, okay. And, and for people that don't know, front-loading is just seeing them quite regularly and consistent pretty close. It might be three times in or two times in, in one week or something like that. Yeah, interesting. Make your own you know, assumption, guys, from, from what you do. But yeah, I can definitely see the argument for both. So that'll do us for today. Obviously, remember, jump over on our, um, on our Instagram and give us a follow, give us a message, send in some questions, case studies, anything you like. Make sure to give us a five-star review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anything. And um, yeah, we'll talk to you guys next week. You're going to say bye, Kelly?